the tricky part is, is that before that, ch- at, when the in utero, <laughs> race and gender stuff is coming into play, period. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I really do honestly feel there's a way to have an age appropriate conversation about anything with the child. Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20 year child care veteran. Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at Jenny at JennyB.co. Let's get started. Veronique, also known as V, is the founder and lead educator at Ampersand Workspace. She works in race and gender, giving organizations, groups, and companies the tools to enact anti-racist and gender-inclusive values within their organizations to create a productive, inclusive culture. Veronique shapes mindsets, builds skills, and creates lasting impact through Heritage Month and Identity Holiday Workshops, targeted trainings, and consulting. Her business prompted V to retire from childcare, where she spent more than 20 years as a caregiver of all sorts, alongside other professional endeavors. Veronique is still very invested in the lives of all her littles around the world, and she loves them all dearly, especially since she gets to give them back to their parents. Welcome back to the Relational Parenting Podcast, everybody. Uh, Welcome our guest, Veronique Porter. Welcome. Hi. Hi. (laughs) <laughs> Hello, how you doing? There it is. All right. So we are on. <laughs> and Veronique, you are, please tell us who you are and what you're up to in the world today. <laughs> so my name is Veronique Porter. I often go by V as well. Uh, and I run a business called Ampersand Workspace, where I work with groups and organizations around race and gender to help them have a better, more welcoming, productive workplace culture and environment. But I spent uh, almost 20 years, maybe it was more than 20 years, something around that, something around the 20-year mark, even though I'm not that old, uh, in child care. It's my longest running Great. career. And I hired uh, in 2021. So I did all sorts of different types of childcare, uh, different ages, the whole shebang. My favorite is our babies and toddlers. Um, yes. and I was always just doing that alongside of my previous career in international development, my travels around the world. I've done it internationally. Uh, and when I started Ampersand Workspace, I finally needed all of my bandwidth and all of my time mm-hmm. <laughs> to put towards a business. I'd never done it before. Uh, but I miss my littles and I literally have you know, littles all around the world uh, and they really do delight my life. Yeah. You called cool. yourself, you called yourself the forever auntie. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love my that. Is, I love littles and I will spend all the time with them and I will play with them and, and do all of that. But my, my favorite, absolute favorite thing about them is giving them back to their parents. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's a sort of kind of grandparenting then. Right? In a way, I'm happy to be a part of the village, right? Like, yeah. you know, I'm a caregiver uh, in whatever way that I can and help out, uh, but they got to go back home at some point. <laughs> right? You can always give them nice. back. Yep. 
And you've got them in France and Africa. And where are all your littles internationally? So I have littles uh, in various spots in the U.S. I have littles mm-hmm. in Malu, West Africa. Uh, they're not so little anymore, actually. They're all kind of <laughs> uh, It's been a long That's time. the problem with 20 years of doing it. They, you know, right. They're not little forever. Right. Like, yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> um, I have littles in Nantes, France, and I got an official godson there as well. Um, cool. And yeah, little spots all over the U.S. Neat. Neat. Yeah. I love it. And we have, I when we were chatting on the phone many months ago to set you up as a, as a guest, you were, you had messaged me and you were like, you're like, Hey, I'm also a year, you know, a nanny of 20 years. Cause that's something that I put in my post when I reached out to our group to, to get guests. And, um, we had, we had a very similar story of nannying for 20 years, taking care of children in various places for 20 years and then transitioning to being business owners. Um, so we had a lot to talk about in the parenting space and like coming oh, yeah. from it as an, as an outsider, quote unquote, uh, mm-hmm. because even though we don't have our own children for me yet, <laughs> um, we both had been parenting. Like when you're a nanny, it is, so intimate. It's such an intimate job. And I, and I don't even like calling it a job, um, because it's such like, it feels weird. Yeah. You become more like a forever family member. Um, and like you you said, like auntie, there are children all over the world that call me auntie. Yeah. Cause you're people's homes, right? So you take Mm -hmm. all the ins and outs of their family as you're also helping to, you know, raise their children, right? So you're supporting or uplifting whatever they're investing in their kids and you're having those serious conversations, you're seeing their developmental process and contributing to it hopefully positively. So there's no way you walk away from that. And it's like, yeah, it's just a job. I'm logging off. It's like you're like Papa Ritz invested, you know? Yeah. 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 A little different than like uh, being a Sunday school teacher or even a school teacher where, you Mm -hmm. know, you're expected to, well, go back in the closet at the end of the day and come in, come back at, you know, it's more of a, more of a parenting situation. Yeah. When you're with them, when you're with them many hours weekly on a repeating basis, if not more waking hours than the parents even are, there are some positions yeah. where I was awake and caring for actively caring for the children for more hours in the week than the parents were. Um, and, and, and that's like, I mean, I'm at that point, those parents are like asking me what to do with the kids. They're like, this behavior is happening or have you noticed this or have you, you know, whatever. And I'm, you know, I'll be like, that's developmentally normal. We're working on it. This is what we're doing and, and share what I'm doing. And, And then they do it, you know, on the weekends when I'm not there so that we're having like a consistency of care, um, across the board and, and vice versa. If they're like, Hey, we've really noticed so-and-so starting to like engage in this, this is what we want to do to mitigate, you know, can you help us please? And I'll be like, yeah, I'm on board. Like, let's, let's yeah. I'll do that with them too. Right. And it's really like a, you step in as like a third parent teammate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely very, a week, definitely a team for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you were, na- when you guys were nannying, you guys, you women, we're nannying and helping out with families. Did you ever Ooh. do it with with yeah. single parent 
families with with I mean, was it like two, was it ever two moms or a mom and a and a, or, a, or a guy and you, or was it mostly pairs of parents? I've kind of I've kind of hooked up on the got fascinated by the fatherlessness thing yeah. going on in the world. And single parenting is a real common thing out there for parents. And were you able to nanny for single parents? Or is that, I mean, that would be hard to afford, I would think. Yeah, I think that, like, I can't recall a family where I was, cons- like, babysitting here and there, sure, but, mm-hmm. like, consistently nannying or even, like, after school care or something like that even. Um, there have been, you know, like, continual babysitting sort of things or, like, you know, I've done tutoring in the past, so maybe that. Yeah. Um but as far as like actual nannying or like really long term, like term housekeeping, yeah. usually I, I haven't come across any single parents. But I will say that I was raised by a single mom. And so that really contributed to like me doing this early on. And, you know, it feels in some way that I'm like naturally good at it. But it's just that I had training so much earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. My siblings. So I don't know if it's, it's an innate natural thing for me it's more so that you know I've had that training so early on and so deep in helping out my mom when we were growing up yeah. and that, you know, that definitely related to the ways in which I was able to do that as a you know a, a caregiver when I was helping out with other families learning yeah. yeah I think and a lot I think comes from being exposed to child care whether it's older sibling helping <laughs> mom or whether it's uh uh uh, babysitting for for young girls, you know, going out and doing babysitting and and learning to deal with children that were not their younger siblings, you know, kind of kind of training training women up to to raise kids. There's so much of that missing now, you know, going into other people's homes. I, I bet baby, I bet the whole industry of babysitting as a teenager is is different now. Yeah, I don't even know if they do that as much anymore. Yeah, going into people's homes and times perhaps, but yeah, yeah. also you know, folks are looking for like you know somebody that they feel like is reliable or trustworthy, and we just don't we don't look at adolescents that way anymore. They're so and and not to invoke like a helicopter caregiver sort of thing, but it's like I really want to make sure that the kids are good, right? And like yeah, yeah. yeah things and so i think back in the day mm-hmm. it was very much so like you just need to keep them alive you know 16 yep. year old 14 year old <laughs> right. yeah minimize the blood <laughs> <laughs> like no they have routines they have structure they have things so now yeah. we need to be really responsible to do those yeah. things so it, it's falling away culturally for sure it, not that it doesn't exist but it's definitely falling away a little bit yeah, more. yeah i was gonna so say different. i see it depends on um I've seen differences in in income levels. So parents who can afford the luxury of a full-time nanny um, or even a part-time nanny um, are wanting someone who is 25 plus. A lot of them are looking for someone in their late 20s, early 30s, um, or they're looking for like older women who have like retired, but who are still like running around capable, um, et cetera, who know child development, um, who are experienced, have five plus years of experience with children, especially like if they've got a newborn, they're looking for a newborn care specialist, Mm -hmm. but those are people who with dual incomes and they're like doctors, lawyers, you know, in marketing and finance, uh, making a lot of money. Um, I've seen 
in smaller towns, um, in areas where when I do like job searches and stuff on different websites for, for jobs, there are a lot, or even in face, a lot of the Facebook groups that I'm in, um, they're lower income families who hire teenagers, not like 14 year olds, but like 16 and up. Um, but they are looking at like these teenagers are posting, like I've taken CPR. I know this, I know, like I have first aid CPR. I've got this, I've been, you know, I'm the oldest sibling. I've been helping with my (laughs) siblings for a long time, you know, and, and they're hiring them not necessarily as full-time nannies, but as like after school nannies, um, with older kids, Mm -hmm. um, things Mm -hmm. like that. But it is definitely nannying has also become more of a career, whereas before it was like a minimum wage kind of entry level gig that girls, usually girls, sometimes boys, but usually girls were doing like while they were in high school or college. And it wasn't like a career option um, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't seen or respected as one either. Um, until really the yeah. last like five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, to answer your question really quick, hmm. dad, um, I did work for one single mom. Hmm. She was, it I was like 19. It was the summer that I was 19, I think. And she mm-hmm. hired me and, but she wasn't paying me like, cause she had one income, right? She was divorced. Um, and so there was, so she had her full-time job. She needed a full-time nanny for her three kids for the summer. Um, and she said that she had applied to, I think it was the state that she was getting child, like a childcare stipend, um, that she had applied for and that she would pay me when that came through. Well, that came through at the end of the summer. And so for three months of work, though, I got paid, I think, like $800. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Like, at the time, I was 18. I was just like, I was kind of like, I just, I didn't care that much. But, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was nothing. And, um, not representative of the value. Yeah. But I mean, but anyway, that was also 16 years ago, 17, Mm. 17 years. There's that 20 years creeping up on you again. (laughs) Right. When you said, uh, V, when you said at the beginning, you're like, I was in childcare for 20 years. Not that I'm that old. Like I say that all the time. I'm like, okay, I've also been in childcare for over 20 years now. Like, like, I'm sorry. Crazy. Like. How you know? Like, like how? Yeah, like you're not old enough for that. And I'm like, I know, I started but when it's I was true. Six. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not counting six year old. Yeah. As soon as no. I got out of kindergarten, I was in childcare. <laughs> right. My dollies will vouch for me. Well, when you're when you're a kid, if you're if you're helping a single parent, you know that's really kind of probably true. You know, watch your watch your little brother for a few minutes while I. Uh, run outside and get the mail or whatever, you know, whatever, all the oh, I mean, single moms need help, man. Run the household, right? Like yeah. I, was thinking, I was taking the siblings back and forth to school. Yeah. Forms are clean. You know, I, I literally helped her manage the household in that way. Fully function. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Fully functioning parenting partner. Yeah. Um, Jenny, so... Jenny, Jenny was talking about parentifying. Uh, mm. uh, we had an episode about parentifying kids. That's... Uh, Oh, yeah. oh, I just love this. You know, drawing box. I think in boxes and arrows. And so all the little topics we come up with, you know, that's it's like, well, okay, sometimes you need to do that. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Do you, So, V, were you the oldest? Ironically enough, no. <laughs> okay. I always Uh-oh. joke our family like I'm the oldest. I am the oldest girl, though, which, uh, you know, gender. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my older brother is like almost ten years older than me, so you know okay. he was just in a completely different, doing a completely different thing, uh, yeah. and he helped the house a lot. Different, he just wasn't there day to day. Yeah, yeah. Not to be sexist or anything, but there's a boys and girls are different. You know, that's the boys are not, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that leads us to. To the topic that I am really excited for you to share with our audience, with our parents who um, are looking at having, you know, these these with their older kids having these really difficult conversations, especially with the, mm-hmm. the social climate today with race and gender mm-hmm. being such hot topics um, and really the veil being pulled back um, because it's not that these things haven't existed forever and constantly. It's just that no one's been paying attention to them, um, except for the people suffering. Right. Um, and so I am curious about the work that you are doing, not only with corporations, but what you've also seen, um, and what you can share with our parents, um, in the, in the, in the way of like how to have these conversations with their children as they're entering school, as they're growing up, as they're seeing Mm -hmm. the real world um, and experiencing these conversations from peers um, or other, other adults in their lives. I think in general, you know, race and gender being such a heavy topic, even for adults, right. And we hold so many sensitivities and so much discomfort around that. That's literally a lot of what my work is with adult folks in the office is helping unpack some of that, right? Because there Mm -hmm. is a way to do that, right? The internet is not necessarily a safe space. And often our friends are an echo chamber, right? And so if that's our experience, when we have children, when we're around children, Mm -hmm. we want to shield them from that. We want to protect them from that. And they don't have to deal with that right now. But the tricky part is, is that before that, when that in utero <laughs> race and gender stuff is coming into play period yeah, yeah. and so yeah. i really do honestly feel there's a way to have an age-appropriate conversation about anything with the child yeah. uh yes. it's not easy don't get me wrong it's not easy and you know that idea of a parent being on all the time and then they get you know one of those topics and it's like i don't have it I, what's the language <laughs> that's right so i'm not saying it's easy but we have not shield children from that until they expose it in the world, until it becomes a problem. We need to start preparing them from day one. And, you know, we talk about indoctrinating children. As parents, we're always telling children what we think they need to know in order to be good human beings on this earth. And those race and gender conversations are part of that. You don't want to be on the, the defense of they've already been exposed so much. It's already a problem now. Now, how can I correct it? You can give them tools, again, age appropriate tools 
from day one that really prepares them. So when, you know, you know, for example, if I were to have a child and, you know, my child goes to school and gets called a derogatory term, mm. I would hope yeah. I've prepared my child. It's not that it's not going to hurt. It's not that it's not going to be a conversation, right? But it'll right. be a different conversation if I've already been talking about race and gender with that child versus if they had no idea whatsoever. There are all these stories that come out now about adults my age that are like, the first time I realized I was black was when I was called a name at school. Mm. Right? Oh, like, nice. Uh, black, right? When you realize you were other in society yeah. or something like that. So yeah. I wouldn't want my child to go into that blind. I would want my child to already have a healthy sense of what being black is so yeah. that when it's called, they're like, I know that doesn't define me. Right. Yeah. Yes. Don't. Like a pride, a built foundation. Yeah. Like it yes. bounces close to cutting deeper. Right. Yes. So, and, and it applies to all children of all races and all gen- having these conversations again, age appropriate. That's the tricky part. But having those conversations when they arise beforehand, as they come up and being able to just kind of like give them those little tidbits, it really does help prepare them so that even when they're having those same age appropriate things happening in school, they know how to deal. They know how to talk to their friends about it. And they might even be, if, if you know, the leader of the conversation with their peers. Yeah. Yeah. That's really why we're doing this is get there's I had dinner with a couple of guests I'd like to have on next year. Jenny um, brought up kind of got me thinking about the fatherlessness things. There's Mm -hmm. there's a whole there's a whole uh, group, a large group of people that are being raised that haven't been exposed. Don't don't know that. I mean, you're talking about getting out in front. What's the difference between indoctrination and preparing It's like, well, we know this is going to happen around here. And so you can call it in. I'd be interesting to pick apart the people who call that kind of thing indoctrination. But, you know, it's like, hey, this is going to happen. And I'd like to get out in front of it so that when it happens, I know what to say. They they know it's not right. Um, I was kind of a sheltered, protected, I think, kid. I was the fifth of five. Me too. And. And a lot of, yeah, well, you weren't the fifth. Denver yeah. was a rude awakening for baby yeah, Jenny. Exactly. <laughs> I, I remember she, she called once and, and had jumped out, just, just pulled up to the convenience store for a minute and jumped out of the car to run in and mm. left her purse in there. And there was somebody sitting in the car right there waiting for that and, and ripped no. her off. You know, you could see yeah. the, the video. I think you had a piece of the video or something. You could see yep. the second she slammed the door and headed in there, the guy next to her was coming out of his car. They were just, you know, and it's like, we don't get that in small town America I never much. locked my car doors in my life. I got robbed three times and my car got stolen before I finally fucking figured out to lock everything, hide everything, yeah. and don't leave yourself oh. vulnerable. That's how small town I, I was. It took like five years for me to figure out that I lived in a big city and to stop fucking around with your shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to look. And I felt bad a little bit going, you know, I don't know how I would have prepared you for that. You yeah. know, it's in our town. Your job yeah. as your parent is it's like, well, I, you know, I'm sorry that uh, plane fell on your head. I wish I had 
known how yeah. to prepare you better for that. Yeah. But that's after the fact. What you're doing, V, is is terrific. Is is let okay, let's everybody get it out there. And this is, a, I think, this is a good platform for it because everybody's flipping through looking at videos. If we can get that out there and get people thinking about it, then, yeah, you know, the world's a better place for it. And and thanks. So thanks for being here. Just get just oh, thinking. Of course. Thank you for having me. And you know, today it's it's a little bit easier, right? In that, like, children because kids are like on iPads and on screens, right? Like they're seeing different yeah. films, the characters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Question. You know, you can buy all sorts of diverse books that show different types of lifestyles and life and color and gender expression and all okay. sorts of that literally, you know, A, normalizes that people are just different, right? And so yes. that starts to normalize that from day one. But I'm, always, I'm often surprised, and I think this is why I have so much fun around children, the ways in which their curiosity manifests. And so, like, a question that you would anticipate that an adult would ask is not the way the kid is going to ask, and it's not the subject mm-hmm. the kid would think about, or even, yeah. like, what they like to focus on. And so it's, again, you don't have to, you know, sit your child down and give them lessons on, like, you know, yeah. how to do this and how to do that. But at the same time, when they have that random question, instead of brushing it off, to really have a conversation about it, you know? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Or even in their in daily life and experiences, like when you have your three, four, five, six year old with you and you're running around running errands at the grocery store or whatever, like they might run, you know, exper- they might point out someone who looks different than than them or whatever. And you can have very or run into someone at preschool, you know, or they, you know, a teacher said something about this, that boys do this and girls do that. Like whatever it is, there these the topics will come up very, very very organically and to take that moment. And like you said, not brush it aside, but take that opportunity. Like the experience is presenting itself, have that conversation, let it be a little teaching moment, take five Mm -hmm. minutes and be like, that's so interesting. Your teacher said that, you know, in our house, this is what we value. This is what we see. This is the world, you know, this is how the world works and, um, and have that conversation. It's even small things. Like earlier when Papa Rick corrected himself about saying you guys, that was something that I started doing last year. I was trying to eradicate doing yes. that all the time. Uh, and I still slip up too. Um, but I was I, with... I try. <laughs> That's all we can do is try. Progress over perfection. <laughs> and um, I said you guys. And then I, I corrected and said like y'all, because I love a y'all. There and, you um, one of the girls. She's about eight years old at the moment. She was like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, why, why would you say you guys? And, nice question. So, yeah. and so I was like, you know, well, I just, you know, there are a lot of different reasons, but like, look at all of you, like you're, you're a girl. The other three were actually boys, but I was like, you're a girl. And so it doesn't make sense for me to call you all guys because you're not all guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be really weird and jarring if I called you all girls. So yeah. I right. really appropriate just say what it is. And I'm really, and that's it. I'm really trying to work on not saying you guys because yeah. that's for everybody yeah, and yeah. everybody not necessarily a guy so i don't want to normalize that anymore in my own vocabulary and she thought about it and was like well you know everybody does it or says it and i was like it's not something that i'm going to correct you about but it's something that i've chosen because it it's in line with how i want to operate in the world and i don't think that's the right way to go about it so yeah. that's why i'm correcting myself but it's a choice that i've made for me even if society is not on board with it yeah and Okay. Kept moving. Started talking about something else. Yeah. But that, and that's a that's a that's a real good point. I mean, we have to start by changing ourselves, right? Mm. Um, if you want if you want the world to be different, if not who 
me if not if not you know if yeah. not now when and uh and, and without look it up and you, know? and you and, yeah and you want to do it so that people get on board with it you don't want to be over militant with it because i mean the language doesn't even have construct constructs for that you know <laughs> i mean you, we we grow up saying you guys and there isn't really a you know oh. y'all is kind of a southern thing it's mm-hmm. like we sometimes there just aren't the words for it. We yep. got to kind of come at it organically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to yeah. say you guys, for me, I, I was like, I had like a little like hint of pride, dad, when you corrected yourself, I didn't even think of it <laughs> as anything until you corrected it. Oh, and I was just like, Oh, like that's like, he's like, you know, your awareness and your like, you're like, you know, enlightening yourself, like you all try. of those things. Yeah. Um, but I, to me, the the phrase "you guys" has always been neutral. The word "guys" has mm. never, like, yeah. If you're saying like all those guys over there, then it yeah. means I'm talking about a group of men, males, right? Yeah. But if I'm just like, like, oh, come on, you guys, like, listen or what? You know, whatever. Um, <laughs> that was always neutral to me. Right. Um, but that's also because it's been normalized and used in, in different instances, et cetera. And to bring the awareness to the language that we're using to be more precise with our yeah. language, to be it's it's even past serving um serving to to bring awareness to gender um and being sensitive to that issue and um the comfort of the people that you're addressing it it also just makes you a better speaker and communicator like it makes you pay attention to the more, rest of your language precise and how you absolutely. affect the world yeah yeah, yeah. recognition yeah. it's it's bordering on on political correctness, which can be overdone, but it's also more mm-hmm. precise and, are, and it recognizes that there is diversity around, you know, there are people, especially with all the transgender stuff going on, you know, there are people who that, that affects them. And so yeah. it's like, well, let's be polite and let's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not that, I mean, there's also, there also can be people that can be offended. You know, sometimes people are just in a tough place and yeah. just all they need is, one more, you're on my last nerve kind of thing. <laughs> and so it's like, uh, rel- you know, okay, well, we can pretty easy to just make our language a little more precise and stay away, you know, don't be don't be stepping on people's nerves if you don't have to. Is I don't know, for me, political correctness a lot of time really just boils down to being polite and considerate, you know. And, and of, respectful, yeah. Yeah, instead yep. of just being, well, I have a right to say that, and so I'm going to be ignorant, you know. <laughs> I yeah. say to, this is completely separate, but I say to people all the time who like to argue with me about the use of the N-word and how they get to use it, yeah. uh, usually people that look like me that I'm having this argument with, um, and it's like mm. if one person has expressed that it is possibly problematic to a group of people, yeah. is that not enough for you? Yeah. Like, what? what that, like, you are holding on to the right to say that so much yeah. for? Yeah. Yeah. What, what is... Why, you need to say it. Help me ex- understand of- why you need to bother everybody. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it is one of those things where, to me, it always boils down to the idea of like, there's a difference between I didn't know and I know, mm-hmm. and I'm still going to choose to do this because you don't want to respect or acknowledge or just treat people with kindness. 
Yeah. Yes. That's a big red flag for me when people when people do that, and 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 you know just in terms of being part of the tribe, you mm-hmm. know, you know, the being part of the village, and people deliberately when it becomes apparent someone is deliberately kind of irritating half the tribe here around uh, half of our group. It's like what is and and their justification is well I have a right to do that then I'm like no, uh, okay you know yeah if that's the only reason you're doing that is to exercise your power over other people then mm-hmm. you're not my you're not I don't want you in my See tribe. <laughs> and then the behaviorist in me goes what's the need behind that behavior behind that mm-hmm. need for control that need to hold mm-hmm. on to self that sovereignty that that right mm-hmm. i have the right i have it's like okay that person is feeling not in control of their life yeah. somewhere somewhere in yeah. there they're yeah. feeling like they don't have power um and mm-hmm. so that's like where the tribe can come in and and be and this is like you know, in 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 a regular modern setting where, like, if you the you know, I w- use the N word and you say, "Hey, like, that's not cool. That's really derogatory. Please don't say that word around me. Please don't say it around other black people ever." <laughs> like, yeah, you, just don't you, say it. Just say, yeah. And you Give kindly that. explain that to me, and my reaction to you is to be like, "I I'm an American, and I can say whatever I want to say," and like, yeah. you know. In that situation, you're not going to then seek to heal me or look at the need behind my behavior. But in a tribal setting or in a home family setting, um, like where are the places that we can respond to people who make that claim, who argue for that that grip on on control? Um, and where can we tap into that and speak to it? And, ch- and help them understand the effect that they're having. And it's not that we're not trying to take your power away. No one's trying to control you. And you are in yeah. control of your life. And in fact, the way that you're expressing yourself is like, like there's a cause and effect. And you can control the effect you have on the world. That's the control that you have. Hmm. And I love that you brought that up because... You know, I I feel like at the root of all this race and gender stuff, whether you're a kid or an adult, it is about this power, right? It's about a power dynamic. It always is. It is. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head when you're saying, you know, when folks are really pushing back, even when the rhetoric makes no sense, even when it's just because I want to, because I have the right, it does come back to I feel like a loss of power and I need to exert that over someone. So, but that's why for me, it's much easier to have small conversations right yeah and so like yeah place because i don't know you you don't know me we haven't figured out tone what's my reason yeah. for trying to correct you versus your company like n- nothing's gonna get done right yeah. it's just gonna be a confrontation <laughs> part of it is like let's have this conversation in a way that's safe and mm-hmm. creating yeah. that safe like i know even though i feel like you're very wrong um you, I can see that you're hurting, right? So that grace is important. But I see you yeah. as a person, I see you as an individual, and this isn't necessarily like a personal frailty that can't be fixed. That you're completely broken, or you're completely trash, or you're completely rotten. There's something there yeah. that needs to be fixed, right? And I yeah, yeah, that in a conversation. But yeah. if we're talking about on the internet or just random person in passing, we're, we're not getting anywhere with that. But with people right. we know in a family in a community. 
approaching them with that sort of grace and that sort of understanding does help you get a to the root of the problem much more quickly but also how can we come up with methods for you to like understand a bit better how we can be in community together as opposed to there being a power relationship yeah yeah needing to exert compensation that need to exert your power you know over other people Yeah. yeah yeah we did we did an yeah, episode this is not good we did an episode i can't remember a few episodes ago um and we got into talking about the the only thing you are in control of is yourself and the way that you respond to the world yeah. around you your yeah. own actions your own Get choices right you cannot control other people yeah. you cannot control um the chaos of the like things that happen that occur in the world like the weather is the perfect example of that. No mm. one can control the weather, right? We can't control natural disasters. I mean, there's there's some climate change stuff that plays into that, right? But you can't go push a button and control it, right? right. And so we t- we touched on that in, in a past episode and it's and it applies here that all mm-hmm. you have is the is your choice, your actions and the way to make the choices like that you want to make, like what effect do you want to have on this world and make choices according to that, to your values, Mm -hmm. not based Mm -hmm. on what I need, what I can be in control of who I can have power over or whatever. Like you don't have power over anyone except maybe your child, in which case it's abuse. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, parenting, especially that's an especially powerful parenting concept i think is yes i can grab you and lock you in the closet Mm -hmm. and i am bigger than you and is that one of your values i mean is that what you because that's what they're going to do to their kids when they grow up you're spreading that into the world you know so yeah so it's it kind of requires some a certain amount of relaxation to be able you know a certain amount of money, a certain amount of being in a place where you can stop and think about what you're doing as opposed mm-hmm. to feeling like, you know, I think the compensation when people are just are just exerting power to exert power, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a sign. They're, they're, from, they're coming from someplace pretty tough where, you know, yeah. you have to exert power just to keep people from coming over and grabbing you and locking you in a closet or, yeah, yeah. What, you know, they're coming from a different place. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so that's that's where diversity, uh, being familiar with the concept of diversity, and you know, being exposed to things, having a little, uh, little broader experience is good. That's why that's why yeah. parochialism, you know, being isolated is 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 not good. You got to get out in the world. That's why that's why I have so much respect for going. You know, I went to France to learn French. It's like wow. I wish I'd have had the guts to do that when I was young. You know, let's get up and go see how another people you know, go to Africa, go to France, go see how other parts of the world work. Yeah. And uh, so then you're not quite so surprised when somebody steals your purse when you leave it sitting in your car. You know, it's like I've been in a big city before. Oh yeah, right. you know? good right. good to have experiences. Yeah. yeah. V, do you? Oh, I've I've been thinking about this since for about twenty minutes. Um, the usually things disappear in that amount of time, and I'm like, well, it's gone now. But um, this one has stuck around, <laughs> I so mean, I feel I, like, so I feel like it's important. I write um, stuff down. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> earlier you were talking about the con- having these conversations with our children, um, and you were talking about um, 
you know, different races and, and kids have, you know, experiencing, um, these things out in the world and, 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 yeah. and being proactive. I'm yeah. curious on your, with your expertise, um, if you feel, I'm trying let's see, how do I want to ask this? Do you feel like different families, different races, um, that that conversation looks different inside of, of different families of different races, oh, a like white Asian family versus black. an Asian family versus oh. a black family. Um, Absolutely. Hmm. I don't know if are, uh, we're hearing a lot of those same things in the past couple of years around like the talk that mm-hmm. uh, black yeah. people have with, and, and my mother's never had the talk with me in part because I was born and raised in Chicago. Like, you know, we were, <laughs> you know, negative interactions with the police were like, yeah. uh or oh. like ways in which chicago is one of the most diverse cities in the world um but also very very segregated always has been continues to be yeah so growing up in that sort of air i never had to have the talk but this idea of like being aware of your blackness very early on right and what that yeah. means people treat you and how you are supposed to act in certain spaces so that people treat you well. Uh, you know, if I'm downtown Chicago, you know, how people are perceiving me and especially you know, even then versus now. So that idea of, you know, the conversations that I'm having out of my home versus like a white family who is not talking about race at all, who's not necessarily, you know, equipping their children to think about themselves in mm-hmm. public spaces with the, of race on their brain right yeah, yeah. right where it's like you know when boys go out and about it's like you'll be fine as to where yeah. when girls go yeah. out it's like watch your drink protect yourself stay with your friends yes. don't you yeah. know do if you shouldn't wear xyz thing so mm-hmm. of course those conversations are different a lot of what i'm trying to tell folks now is that Yes, those conversations should look different because, you know, the way in which a white family talks about race and the way a black family talks about race is completely different because of the way in which they experience yeah. race. Yes. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be talking about it, right? Like, so yes. in the same way that, like, black people are having to talk about race in general with their children, yeah. everybody else should be well, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. about race and how that plays out into the world. Uh, and so that shouldn't be something that, you know, kids are having conversations about in college critically. Yeah. They should be having those conversations critically in their homes from day one, you know? It makes me think of um, how just recently um, the, especially with like the Me Too movement, um, the the discussion about sexual predators was just with young girls and women. And mm-hmm. we were the victims, right? Most of the time, um, we were the victims of that violence instead of the discussion being amongst boys and men and raising your sons to not be like that. We're to tough. We don't control, like to talk about that. To control themselves, to have re- how to respect what consent looks like, et cetera. Yeah. The conversation was simply about girls and how to protect yourself and to and victim blaming. And yeah. I think that there's a parallel with race here in that black families have been having this discussion for centuries. Whereas white families or other races who are who have not experienced that level of racism um, yeah. were either completely fucking blind to it um, or were perpetuating the racism. Yeah. And so you were it was either getting swept under the rug and not talked about or it was being perpetuated. Um, meanwhile, 
the victims of the racism were the ones having the conversations about how to protect themselves, how to act, how to, and being victim blamed basically. And so I see this responsibility, um, in white families in Asian and in any family. But I mean, let's be honest, the white families, colonizers, like that's the, the kind of the base resource, the source of it, um, (laughs) where it all begins is there's, there needs like, um, what do they call color blindness, uh, was, was a hashtag that came up during, during the pandemic with all the race revelations of, of white families, not, being like, oh, well, I don't see color. I'm not racist because I don't see color. And mm-hmm. the the response from victims of racism was, well, that's not helpful either Wait because it's minute. real yeah. and this is happening to us and you need yeah. to see color and have an understanding of what's occurring. Yeah, that's sticking your head in the sand. Exactly, exactly. You know, you know the, the, I'm also seeing uh, there's a, the, a new movie out, Sound of Freedom. About the the slave trade, the the, the mm, sexualization, yes. right? You know, and you know it's it's not slavery hasn't always only happened to black people. I mean, that's been around, conquered nations, enslaved other the other people, and you know it's kind of a social thing. You can't ignore it. You know, it's not like oh, I'm colorblind, I don't see color. It's like yeah, you you need to acknowledge it and adapt you know people have trauma when people have a trauma you acknowledge okay i'm not gonna put i'm not gonna pick on that particular scab of yours you know just to be part of the just so the tribe runs better Mm -hmm. um and now we're finding out that you know the jeffrey epstein and all that you know there's a tremendous there's a lot more that i like the internet because it it helps that kind of thing is easier to hide slavery uh, mm-hmm. whether whether it's uh, trafficking or whatever it, it doesn't what's the what's the newspaper motto about uh, truth dies in darkness or something like that you know it's you know, it's bringing the it's bringing to light a bunch of things that we are now mm-hmm. having to at least in this country deal with and find words for because it was so well hidden for so long you know we didn't really have the words like eskimos are supposed to have 400 words for snow you know most people have one or two or three about snow we're having to develop vocabulary in the language to even talk about some of this stuff at the level you know when you start to dig into it and get precise with your language it's like well i don't really have a word for that what do we call that you know you're having to make up words so yeah. we'd experiment with colorblindness. It's like, well, no, that's not really quite right. And it's re- I enjoy watching the watching the world evolve. Uh, it's not always comfortable or nice, you know. But as thinking human beings, if we're going to make the world a better place, we got to learn how to do it. And to yeah. tie it all back, parenting is where it starts. You know, the parent as parents, we need to get get with it. And figure out how to talk to our kids and other kids, and you know it's a valuable skill. It's good to be aware of this stuff. You can't start until you're aware of it. Period. Yep. Sorry. See, when I talk, I go for a while. No, no, I love it. I was listening. I'm literally reflecting on the fact that, like, it's it's really refreshing. I think to hear from someone of your generation that, like, you know this is important 
conversation to have and this is important discourse to take up and these are important things for us to work on because I think the overall idea is that you know Gen Z is you know doing this work and Gen Z is pushing this forward and you know you are Gen Z and here you are (laughs) Gen Z has no clue how to proceed because they're you know they haven't been trained up we kind of screwed up later generations in some ways, you know, and so we got to, we're like grandparents now. It's time to start fixing that a little bit. Yeah. I just think it's, it's really powerful to hear, like to see you like, you know, correcting your language and to hear how much importance you place on, you know, trying to, again, be a part of the larger community, right? Not just saying like, well, in my day we did X, Y, Z things. So it excuses you in some way. And we're used to a lot generation doing that and so it's so refreshing like you could go on forever and I'm like yeah because like I just I love hearing that from someone of your generation it's super refreshing to hear I wish I could bottle it someone was someone at a family gathering was talking about how horrible it was that Mexicans were crossing the border on the south of the United States and I said so how does that different than uh, white people coming from Europe and showing up and exterminating the Indians and there was just no Native conversation Americans. to be had about that. Native yes. Americans. Yes. Yeah. Indians See, are I'm, in I'm India. Still a victim of my, you know, <laughs> I'm not. So, so just to prove I'm not that enlightened, you know, you're right. You know, and it's just it's we are we are we are products of our history to some extent. You know, that gets into yeah. the whole. What do you what do you do about people in the past? All you do all you all you, all you can control is yourself, and you work at it. Yeah, yeah. I want to start a drinking yeah. game now of, uh, of <laughs> dad like dad jokes. Anytime you hear a dad joke, take a shot. Or anytime um, dad or someone on the podcast corrects like, dad. Um, yeah. What in in in, in language? Say, say a classically boomer thing, you know. Yeah. Boomer boomer language or millennial language or Gen yeah. Z language or what what what's in the middle there? Gen X is there a Gen X after Gen Z or before Gen Z? Gen X is after you. Go so boomer read. boomer Gen X millennial Gen Z. There yeah. it is. Okay. Elder yeah. millennial though I, is an important one. Elder millennials uh, see, are see, not the we same. We get more and more precise. <laughs> As we discuss things, we learn to be more precise, and we need a new word. Elder yeah. general, elder millennial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way it works. You start talking. That's why when you talk to PhD guys in something or other talking, and you can't understand them because they had to make up all these special words to even yeah. have a conversation about their stuff, you know? <laughs> they just made up words. V, I would love for you to share. I know that most of your work with your business is with um, companies and corporations and going in and helping them create a, a safer, more welcoming, more diverse environment. And you're teaching these things. You're teaching um, more precise language and how and how to how to make an inclusive environment in the workplace and all of those things. I'm curious if you can translate a few of those pointers to. Um, to parents who are looking for advice on how to initiate or engage in in conversations about gender and about race in the home. Yeah, um, I think something that Papa Rick said earlier, which is a big part of my work, even though I work with teams or organizations, for me, it's always coming down to the individual, right? Because mm-hmm. that 
has to make the choice. That individual has to choose to educate themselves. That individual has to choose to be a better manager, to uphold some of the culture that is being, you know, distributed throughout the company, right? So it, yeah. it has to come down to that individual, and that individual is the one who's in the driver's seat. Yeah. And so it's similar with parenting, where, you know, parents would be like, well, how do I get, how do I talk to my kids about diversity and all of their friends are white? and look like them and were raised in the same type of neighborhoods and have the same type of degrees and the same type of jobs. Yep. So the example that you are putting towards your kids, you can't teach them something that you don't understand enough to implement into your life. And that you exactly. So it's really about that parent, again, taking that initiative to say, this is important to me. How do I, you know, in the same way that you might buy your kid a book that has diverse characters, how many books are you reading or how many articles are you reading by diverse authors? Right. Mm-hmm. So really it starts with that parent, with that, that individual. Modeling. And then it also starts with the union. It, modeling. Yep. Right. Yep. But also yeah. you can't teach what you don't know. Bumper, yeah. That's a bumper sticker. I like bumper sticker saying, you can't teach what you don't understand. Yeah. You can't teach it and you can't, and not even a model, you can't teach something that you, but then yeah. also modeling is really important. Because if what you're saying conflicts with what you're doing, they're yeah. getting a message and then they have to choose which one they decide to believe. Yeah, they, they more often come away with what you modeled, not what you say, you know, do what I say, not what I do kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's thing number one. And thing number two, that also plays into the union if we're talking about a partnership, even if it's co-parenting, if, if it's an actual marriage or an actual romantic partnership, like y'all got to be on the same page. So y'all have yeah. to talk through you're going to approach some of these things around gender. I have a really good uh, set of friends and I've worked with them and their kids before, but now I just adore them and their family and we're really good friends and I visit them like twice a year. Um, And, you know, they have conversations around the ways in which they parent the kids, right? And like, Mm. for example, pointed out how like the dad babies the girl, right? She's the oldest even, but he babies her. Um, She gets away things because she knows she can like kind of manipulate that and so mom was able to like point something out right the ways in which like he favors the boy this way or favors the boy that way and have that conversation not in a way that's like you know you're a horrible parent but i've noticed some things mm-hmm. and you what do you think happened that's what i was talking about so those sort of conversations about gender and race and parenting have to happen with your co-parent with your village with your tribe as well right and same yeah. way you have if you had a nanny to say these are some behaviors I notice, or this is something that I want to reinforce or whatever it sounds like oh yeah it's automatically happening but it doesn't I think people assume they're on the same page with their partner or assume yeah. they're on the same co-parent and you have to have those conversations to make sure that you are mm-hmm. uh, and also to create that open space that open communication so that yeah there are some things coming up that folks can point that out to you and it's a conversation and not an argument right or a debate or like again you're a horrible parent it's more like we're tweaking as we go along. And these are things that are important to us. They're valuable to us as parents. So we're going to convey that to the kids. But first, we got to check in with each other. Yeah, yeah. Very much yes. because, you know, I, uh, and sometimes that's going to be hard to do in the structure of an existing. I mean, if you can't, uh, that's a, that's a, goes to your core values, you know, mm-hmm. is that, you know, we were t- talking about, are, are we teaching, are we giving in, are we teaching to our values and then questioning your partner's values or bring, or, you know, there's all kinds of conflict. If you're, if you're, if your relationship with your partner is not 
conducive to that, is not mm-hmm. strong enough to yeah. have talks with each other about each other. Yeah. Which, I, which I'm going to say, given that half or more first marriages don't make it, and everybody that does make it is on a bell curve, I'm going to say that's a really small percentage of, you know, five, ten percent of most marriages, then that's a, if you're going to have kids, work on your marriage, I guess is the the short version of that, so that you can get on the same page. I'm not a parent or a partner, so I don't want (laughs) to give advice that feels like I'm over that way. Um, But what I have noticed, for example, is that like for first time parents, uh, that baby comes, it's their first baby, and the mom is overprotective. I see this more mm-hmm. often than not, where it's like, you didn't change the diaper my way, or like they're doing this cry, and that means this, and it's my baby, even though it's clearly our baby. Yeah. Overprotectiveness, usually with the second and third, less so. But the mom, it's the hormones, it's getting used to things, it's, I know my baby. And more often than not, because, you know, of the way in which the mom is bonded with the baby and, again, the hormones, the dad is the one that is not doing it right. And he is not on the same page. And mm-hmm. there's a lot that, right? And so more often than not, they find a place where the mom is able to let go a little bit. The dad is able to be more active and find his footing a little bit faster with the yeah. baby. But it, it it can be a point of contention, right? And so Absolutely. I say same way that like you have to like find that learning curve of how are we being parents together and maybe you do there's something we've decided that we both do the way this is the way to do it and sometimes it's like dad's going to do his thing and i'm going to do my thing and that's going to be okay yeah place absolutely not easy absolutely tricky but those conversations are necessary right in the same way that when that new baby comes those conversations are necessary and sometimes contentious that's Mm -hmm. what's going to some of these other values too, where it's like, no, I'm not questioning your values, but I'm questioning how you're doing it. Yeah. And they have to work through that in order to get to a place where it's like, all right, now I can point out this thing to you and it's not a big deal. Like yeah. that's what I mentioned, they didn't just arrive at that. They've been working at that for some time. They've been together for some time. Um, but it, it's not, it, conf- there's a lot that comes out from conflict, right? We, we look at conflict and we try to shy away from it. But if everything is smooth, say, a, a good sailor does not learn to be that with smooth seas, right? Right, like, right. It's a positive part, but you got to go through it. You can't go around it. You got to yes. be with somebody who you can be in conflict with and still not be super threatened. You know, yeah. it's not like if I aggravate you, you're liable to shoot me or, yeah. you know, poison me or, you know, it has to be okay to have a level of conflict or. Mm-hmm. Wow, you know, there's no, or, you know, there's just no getting all, getting around together. For any conversation to take place in any disagreement, in any in any critical philosophical uh, discussion of a multifaceted issue in any space here on a podcast, like we ha- we have to be able to disagree. This is something that's like this is a huge underlying foundational issue, especially with the polarization that the pandemic created is that we can no longer disagree and maintain relationship with each other. Productively. Yeah. We, we can, we, there, there's this significant disconnect um, and alignment with those who only agree with me and my values and my opinion on things. And anyone who's outside of that is morally reprehensible. 
Mm-hmm. And like there, there are some things for me that are like human right, like moral things, but those are very, very few. Most mm-hmm. things there, it's not even two sided. It is, there's eight sides to to things. There's the multi faceted, yeah. faceted. There are reasons that people do things that we have never even like thought of occurring in our own lives. And the ability to have a civil conversation to be in what is technically conflict. Disagreement is conflict. Mm. Not all conflict is bad. In fact, most conflict serves to build and grow and, and deepen connection and relationships, right? The relational parenting podcast, this is what we're all about is if you, in your family and your couplehood, whatever your parenthood relationship is, um, whatever that the quality of that relationship is, is going to translate to the quality of relationship that you experience with your children and that your children will experience with other people for the rest of their lives, unless they do research and education to fix it. And so, if you can't get good at conflict together, like there is a serious foundational piece missing from your family. Mm. Work on it. <laughs> if, it oh, if it's a problem, <laughs> work on it. <laughs> and I say that as a person who is 1000% imperfect at conflict. Yeah, that is not yeah. a judgment. That is not a me sitting on a high horse telling people what they have to do. That is from yeah. my current and past experience of life, if we can't get along and disagree at the same time and maintain love and connection, there's no hope for joy and, and living like a life worth living without that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You were raised by people not good at conflict too, you know, I know. and, uh, <laughs> and I know. conflict goes, I know you know that this is what, you know, V may not have known that. <laughs> conflict and like I feel like that is definitely a red flag as well if you are good at, like I think we all you know struggle with the idea of mm-hmm. conflict it's yeah. again theory and some of us are like yeah okay more than others and and less conflict avoidant but I feel like if you're good at conflict that's that's a whole different problem <laughs> yeah. some of it is too like you're saying mother, mothers who are going through huge uh, hormonal shifts you know just their brains are getting rewired and mm-hmm. people with past trauma there's all kinds of reasons why people are not able to think straight you know the uh, yeah. lifetime of stress uh, from being black or from whatever it is you know abuse in families it's uh, it wires your brain different and changes your expectations. And so there can be some real mm-hmm. hard and a lot of growth and change comes, you know, it doesn't, people don't change radically because it's fun. It comes out of, yeah. I have mm. to do this or die. More, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's some, there's gotta be some kind of pain, a yeah. cattle prod to get people to change. And, you know, in a, you know, I would imagine in the course of a workplace, that's got to be a change, you know, when you're asking managers to change, mm. figuring out what the cattle prod is in a very civilized way has got to be a real challenge. And also in a way that tells them, like, in the same way that you are trying to have that conversation with your partner and say, like, I'm not coming for your values. <laughs> I'm coming right. for your act. That is also yeah. the with leaders where it's like i'm not coming for your leadership style i'm not saying that like your mm-hmm. 25 years of leadership were wrong that's yeah. not what I'm saying. Yeah. 
society is different. The workforce is different. And the culture that you're in now, your leadership style doesn't serve that at the moment. So how do we have that? How do we change that? How do we, you know, make that you, but make that a you that serves you as opposed to a you that is holding you back, that is holding information back. Here's a new new skill. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's adding. It's not taking away. It's not... shelving that it's saying how can we make some adaptions how can we make some changes that reflect the world we're in that reflect the problems that you're having and move towards solving that yeah yes. hey there's another another use for my beginner mind new mind beginner's mind kanji <laughs> well and that's and that's what it is like that could be translated to parenting too. Like, and I, as a coach, I always tell parents, like, I'm not coming for your parenting style. I'm not telling you that there is one way to parent. I'm telling you there's new, there's new research and there are new methods and there is new information that we know better now. And I want to give that to you. I want to teach that to you so that you can incorporate it into your parenting. Not, I'm not coming to change who you are, change your values, change your intrinsic innate, um, intuitive knowing of your children and what they need. I'm here because child development, brain development, science, you know, has proven these different things. We know now that these things work and these things actually cause harm. Mm -hmm. And so why not add these tools to your belt? Why not learn these things? Um, and, produce a child and that, that contributes to a, to a more loving, connected, enjoyable society and life. Like who, what, who doesn't Mm -hmm. want the best for their child? There's not a parent in the room that would say no to that. Mm -hmm. And we know now that relationships and feeling connected in a community and having healthy, healthy relationships is the number one determining factor of feeling fulfilled in life. Yeah. Number one is this yeah. is the quality of your relationships. So why wouldn't you want to learn that and teach that to your children? Yeah. New information. Keep up with it. That, e- that even extends to the legal system. I mean, one of the few reasons you can uh, get out of jail once you've been in jail is new information has come to light. You know, it's mm-hmm. got to be, per- got to be pretty radical, but new information is a, Great moto is a great uh, cause in all kinds of frameworks. Yeah. Yeah. And why wouldn't managers want to have the best information? They want the best for their company. They want the best for themselves. They want the best for their employees. Why wouldn't you want the new tools? Like here's tools to add to that's your tool great. belt, your management tool belt. That's, right? that's the cattle prod, right? You know, hey, you're not keeping up. You're, you become a dinosaur. Get some new skills. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Organization wants to be the leader in their industry and wants to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot easier to have that conversation when it's framed that way because I think it automatically feels like an attack. Mm-hmm. But framed in a way, create this open space to create a way to unpack some of the discomfort and sensitivities and say, okay, now that we've done that and we know where we're coming from, we're all on the same page and feeling a little vulnerable, let's do something to help us feel more confident. Let's have tools that will so, help us way that's better so all those times when i would go to my boss and say you're a stupid old dinosaur quit (laughs) doing things that way now i have a new tool in my box exactly (laughs) new information new information right Right? and employees can be assholes too right (laughs) just (laughs) 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 all right 
This yeah, has true. been so wonderful. I feel like it's like it's like so like full of so much amazing information um, for parents and for anyone listening. And um, I'm just so grateful that that you are here, that you um, that you are our guest, and um, that you shared all of this knowledge and perspective that you have with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, this is this is fantastic. I know it's been many moons that we talked and uh, getting this together is, you know, not easy in the background of a podcast. I can only imagine. So I appreciate it. You know, the work that y'all are doing to equip parents with better information and help support them in their journeys. Uh, and I definitely am very honored to be a part of Uh-oh. this episode. And thank you so much for having me. You bet. Aww. Thanks. Thanks. You're We'll have to, I say this to, to almost everyone. Cause like everyone that we've had on is just amazing, but I just, I'm like, all right, well, we need to get you back on for another episode, <laughs> uh, next year. So, um, yeah, thank you. And I wish you all of the best in your blossoming business. Yeah. All right. That's well, good. happy parenting everybody and uh, good luck out there. Well, did you learn anything new or have you heard all of this before? Do you agree with us? Disagree with us? Have a question? We want to see you in our inbox or via the Patreon page in the show notes. Tap on either link to send us your feedback, share your own parenting story, or support our mission of providing a connected community for all parents. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you loved this episode, click on that little star and give us five of them so we can get visible to other parents who are looking for us. This is your weekly reminder. Parents, you already have everything you need inside of you. You are a strong, loving, capable parent. And here, you are never alone. I'll see you next week.